0: Hey guys, uh, Mike One here. So, uh, just to give everyone a little behind the scenes about what we do and how we handled our recording for this episode, we actually recorded this episode Monday afternoon, and we had plans to release it, as we usually do, our, or at least have lately, our first episode of the week, Tuesday uh, midnight. The Tuesday blackout, which you um, no doubt saw on social media and is absolutely a worthy cause that included people not only showing unity uh, with posts on social media, but also by blacking out their programming and not releasing a new episode. Started picking up Seam some point Monday night, so also Mike and I talked, and we thought it would be best to acknowledge the blackout, uh, participate in it. We spent our Monday on social media trying to highlight um, not only the Blackout movement, the Black Lives Matter movement Highlight some of our friends and some people in the space uh, Following their accounts And and we put a post up for our buddy Colby Who we've had on the show and love collaborating with Put another post up for another creator Um, We thought our time would be better served there So this episode, if it's a little late That's why, if some stories have changed slightly That's why, because we held it off a couple days And you know the news changes fast And there is a lot of news covered in this episode So uh, we were releasing this Wednesday But all the news were from basically headlines over the weekend and Monday morning So it might be a little late And if it is, our apologies for that Um, I also wanted to just make mention of another movement That was taking place amongst podcasts online There are some pods that are participating in a podcast blackout And it's another Worthy cause, some pods are taking the entire week off and they're letting their silence speak volumes. And we respect that. That's part of the reason, again, we want to respect that as well as the uh, Tuesday Blackout. They're kind of two separate causes with the same intent to show unity and to show support um, for the Black movement and for Black people and the Black Lives Matter movement and these protests that are going on. And it means a lot to us. And if you've listened to MMO at any point, you know how. Feverantly, both also, Mike and myself, advocate for equality in both the racial and gender spaces. As far as the podcast blackout movement goes and people taking a week off, we respect everyone's choice to participate in that. Mike and I find, for ourselves, and it doesn't apply to anyone else, it just applies to Mike, Mike, and Oscar and MMO as a whole, we think if you have a platform if you're fortunate enough to have people who listen to you uh, and you have a platform of any size, the best way to utilize it is to literally use your voice to talk about the injustices and to tell people where you stand and to call out these atrocities and to be willing to listen. That is what you will hear, and we expound upon that, in the first 12 minutes or so of this episode. We talk a lot about the George Floyd murder. We talk a lot about trying to get through our feelings. And you'll hear us mention it. it, We we had four or so takes at getting that opening down because we just weren't satisfied with the message we were delivering. And and we weren't satisfied with what we thought would be taken away from it. So while we respect everyone taking part and, and we support them as well, and that is their stand and that is their way of protest and using their voice. We just thought for MMO, a better use of our voice would be to speak on this matter and then try to give you the distraction and the entertainment that we try to do here uh, otherwise. Look, there's no easy way to talk about this stuff. It sucks. And it sucks that it's 2020 and there are still people dressed up as cops with officially licensed badges and guns that are horrible monsters it sucks that black people can't view the cops as people that are there for their own protection to protect and serve it sucks that you turn on the news and it it takes another death another Story for people to support Black Lives Matter and the movement. And it sucks that the news sometimes lose track of what the actual story is, which is the horrible racism and the systemic racism and oppression that has led to the deaths and murders at the hands of police. We try to address all that again. um, That all does suck. The way to make it suck less is to show that you are an ally to this cause and to this movement and to use your voice in any way you see fit to show support, whether that is physically joining a peaceful protest, donating money uh, to to the Black Lives Matter Fund or one of the NAACP, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, whatever may have it. Uh, to literally use your voice, as Mike and I try to do, to constantly point out injustices and inequalities in the system, uh, at least we try to do, we think we try to do, or to stay silent, as some of our fellow podcasters have chosen to do, and make the airwaves silent, and make their lack of voice being heard their protest. But that's a way to make it suck less. Just do what you can do to prove that you're an ally, and the more you can do the better everyone will be for it. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to improve. So with all that said, uh, we're sorry for the wait. We thank you for understanding, and I think a lot of our listeners especially are very understanding of this, and we appreciate you for that. And without further ado, here is this week's episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. And we're back. Uh, Usually I have a big celebratory introduction to this type of episode, which is MMO Weekly, where we go around the Hollywoods and talk about all the latest news uh, in the movie world, and the blockbuster world, and we will be getting to all of that. But uh, I am co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike, and we're starting on a bit of a different tone today, Michael.
1: Yeah, my love and my heart goes out to so many people. Uh, out there right now. And uh, we got some things we, we want to get off our chest, uh, but uh, let's start with that. And and Michael, you're going to get get our get the ball rolling here.
0: Yeah. So obviously America is in a state of turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the past few weeks, we've been talking nonstop about the COVID virus and the coronavirus and the pandemic that it's caused. And obviously this weekend, things took a, a darker turn with the death of, and murder of George Floyd and the protests that have sprung out thereof. We recorded an episode, I think it was Thursday.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And we want to apologize for how that was handled on our end. Quite frankly, we weren't ready to talk about it. And this episode has been slow going in real time, recording this now Monday afternoon. This is now, I think, our third or fourth attempt at getting an intro down, Pat, uh, because mm-hmm. we, we still are struggling with how to talk about this. Uh, So our apologies, though we do recognize that a distraction is needed. uh, We don't want to be the type that seem like we are avoiding talking about the injustices that we have seen and the goings on socially, culturally and all of that. Um, And so we did want to say our piece about what's going on and the death and, quite frankly, murder of George Floyd and police brutality and oppression.
1: So. This issue and this circumstance, I think, it is it's so crystal clear, and everybody, you and I, we talked about everybody we know and love, and talk to friends, family, coworkers. It, it's 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 clear that this is a right and wrong issue, where there 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 was a murder of a man. It's it's wrong, and the system uh, allows or it doesn't check police brutality, and there's racism obviously inherent, and there's a man with hate in his heart, and there's men standing around watching with hate in their hearts allowing this this, this uh, man, George Floyd, to be murdered. And it's, it's a nightmare. And that should be the lead story for years, never mind days. And I, I get very frustrated now that the president says this and that other people say that, And all of a sudden, this whole weekend, the story is about different things. And I I think the voices that need to be heard most are, are continuing to talk, and they're continuing to put forth nuanced arguments. I have been mesmerized by what Spike Lee has said over the past few days and by the short film he made. And it's and it's heartbreaking. I've been I've, I've read the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, article several times, and the Nick Cannon statement. So many people are putting their words and their truths out there, and I just want everybody to know I stand behind those voices being heard, and I believe that needs to be the ultimate story. The fact that our president is saying what he's saying to antagonize and politicize this issue it it blows my mind apart that somebody could use this situation to say those things and and i have not and personally i've not taken a political stand this harshly yet but i need to take it now because i just think i just think it's a right and wrong issue it shouldn't be a republican and democrat issue it shouldn't be a big small government issue it's a right and wrong hate love issue and it, and it breaks my heart
0: and we shouldn't have needed george floyd to put this on the front page again. This should have been the conversation with Eric Garner, with Freddie Gray, Philando Castile, Walter Scott, Michael Brown, the list goes on and on. We as a society keep having to deal with this because we get lost and we get diverted. Our attention gets diverted and we lose track of the message and the message is right and wrong. And it is so clear and so bright line about right and wrong. Uh, And maybe that's why... We do get bogged down, and the media gets bogged down, and maybe they lose track of of the message as well because there's more inflammatory stories and more you know bright pictures that they can show, focusing on other things going on. But the message needs to be about George Floyd and about the murder of George Floyd and the way these racists. Who are cosplaying and were able to be given badges and guns and cosplay as people who are supposed to protect society are literally out systemically oppressing, if not eradicating, a particular sect, and that sect being black members of the community, over and over again is disgusting and it's wrong and it calls for leadership. And there were two men running for president uh, that chose to attack this that that chose to deal with this situation this past weekend Mm -hmm. one of those men was out on the streets with the protesters and the black lives matter movement and those calling for racial equality and talking directly one-on-one on the streets and sidewalks the other man was in an underground bunker in the white house tweeting about attacking protesters with vicious dogs and called state governors today monday to talk about dominating protesters and how the governors are going to be embarrassed if they don't do that. Uh, that man in the White House is not a leader. That man in the White House is not presidential in any meaning of the
1: term. It's unlike any president in our lifetime. I mean, you got to go back, at least historically, to Nixon and, and the trash that Nixon used to spew. Uh, it, I mean, it, literally in our lifetimes, George W. Bush, President Clinton, uh, Barack Obama would have... handled the situation with grace and being presidential. They would not. inclusivity. And and they would not antagonize. Yep. And And they wouldn't divide. Ugh.
0: And that's what this president has chosen to do. And you can use your voice in many ways to speak out against the injustice against George Floyd, the further injustices that President Trump and many of the people he surrounds himself with and many of his supporters have done as well. You can use your voice in November to vote. You can use your voice to to join a a protest and speak out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to underline a couple things in this opening segment. One, MMO stands firmly against the atrocities and injustices brought forth against not only George Floyd, but the countless other black men and women that have had their lives taken via police brutality. Yes. Uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar stands firmly in the camp of Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. And if you've looked at our social medias, we have been posting about those all weekend long. Uh, And three, just on a human level, the only way to better yourself in this situation is to continue to educate yourself. And especially if you're a white person right now that does believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, not only continue to educate yourself about the movement, but to continue to listen To those directly impacted and involved in these instances of police brutality and those that have witnessed it and been through it and lived it with their own lives and to take in their accounts because we will never be able to truly relate and understand to what they are going through. Mm -hmm. So we need to be the students to them being our teachers and we need to give them support. Uh, We need to give them an ear to listen to and maybe a shoulder to cry on and we need to be there for them and you can do that in many ways uh, again, whether that's through using your voice, through voting, however you want to, but, uh, through a donation, there's a litany of ways you can go out there and do it. But uh, we we felt it an imperative to start this episode off with that message. Uh, and I just wanted to underscore one more thing and saying, I don't care if you're nine or 90 or a thousand years old somehow. You can change and you can change through educating yourself and you can change through desiring to be a better person and nobody's ever going to get mad at you for desiring to be better and to do better and to be more inclusive and to hold hands with your brother and sister, regardless of skin color and let them know that you have their back.
1: Mm -hmm. Well said Mike. And, uh, I co sign all of it. And, and I, again, you know, I apologize for, for not being ready to talk about it in our last episode and at least putting these statements out there. And, you know, it's, it, we're not doing enough just in by saying that. And I still think we need to do our job and, and talk movies and talk to Hollywood industry and talk to movie business and, and, uh, and have some fun and offer you some entertainment. We're going to try and do that throughout this episode, but I'll be honest. I mean, this, this situation, it comes up throughout, uh, several segments and it's going to come up again and, and hopefully it's going to stay in the conversation because it needs to, but it, it's, it's, it's also going to stay in the entertainment conversation, and like I said, go seek out Spike Lee's uh, short film. Go seek out Nick Cannon and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those three in particular had an influence on me. We need to listen to uh, so many voices that are that are that are going to change the situation. That have been changing. That have been fighting for change for years. And I, I do want to say that I think. Looking, you know, living through the Rodney King situation in 1994 and being 10 years old and listening to the discourse from everybody in my life and, and listening to the discourse now. It's night and day. And yet we have a president and yet we have a, uh, you know, political party that that's trying to muddy the waters and, and get us back to the rhetoric of the Nixon days. It makes no sense to me. This should be a right and wrong issue, like you said. And I I I get frustrated with that. But at the same time, I I do think there's been 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 reasons for hope. And that's mostly because of 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 the voices that I I keep hearing. And and I I praise you guys for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, to relate it and to start transitioning into movie and Oscars news, it's like we talk about all the time with the widening academy and their treatment of different movies with different, you know, white savior narratives or the way they treat women in Hollywood narratives. It's women director narratives. It's good job on the progress. What the fuck took so long? Why aren't we better off where we are right now? And I think that applies here as well. Um, Just be better. All of us. We Mm -hmm. can try. Uh, And somehow, with that said, we are going to try to transition to have a Mike, Mike and Oscar weekly show as normal with whatever that means, uh, because usually we're just two lunatics spouting off about Netflix and That's, you know, usually it's it's almost (laughs) across the board. It's a familiar place to start. And that's kind of where we will start talking about the industry news and movie news that we have in store this episode. So we could talk about Netflix and the way they are
1: choosing to treat the film festival circuit this year. Michael. Ann Thompson wrote a great article for IndieWire reporting that Netflix will skip the film festivals. They have submitted no movies to Venice, Toronto, Telluride, and New York, Michael. Okay, so
0: couple ways you could take this. One, Ann Thompson goes on to talk about one of those ways in that there's been a lot of rumors that Netflix is having trouble completing production on some of their films. And yeah. she even name drops Mank and the David Fincher property. Uh, the David Fincher property. Mank is the way that sentence was supposed to sound to normal ears. And how he may not even be uh, have a chance to get his film finished. And if there's, if they don't have productions that are finished, they don't have anything to go to festivals with anyway. There's also the insinuation that this could be a political move. We know Netflix has always kind of bashed heads in the most recent years with these different film festivals and their approach to them. And yet they still want to be kind of Oscars fodder without Really, giving much of anything any of their properties to movie theaters and to film festivals and et cetera, et cetera. So is this more movie politically driven than it is necessarily driven,
1: as the case may be? Right. Is this a logistics issue, or is this uh, a strategic issue that Netflix is having with the fall film festivals? Uh, it, it's It might be the fact that none of these movies are done in the editing room. And they don't know when they can get back in there. And they made a blanket statement because they have new people behind their award season and Oscar campaigns than they used to. New personnel this time. And, And Thompson mentioned it. Or... Is this a situation where they've taken a different strategy with the film festivals? Because last year, Marriage Story played just about every festival uh, from uh, Venice to TIFF. It was on the circuit. and A lot of films do this. Parasite was on the film festival circuit and they went everywhere trying to get that grassroots campaign up and running for award season, up and running for their box office push. The other question I have, Michael, is this Netflix anticipating a major schedule movement are they anticipating the academy moving the oscars to you know three or four months and thereby lessening the impact that a fall film festival would have for an oscars campaign i mean we've seen a lot of films in recent years not go to sundance that used to go to sundance because it's too far out we've seen a lot of films skip can because it's too far out again logistically strategically I doubt that the latter part of this argument is is what's actually happening, but it's it's so strange to me. I'm grasping at straws. Why would they not go to any festival when they're still they're still a sponsor for so many of these festivals?
0: Yeah, that's true, and their sponsorship will keep up as as Ann uh, cited in her article as well. And you know, if if this is a logistics thing and they're having trouble getting the production of their movies finished. Uh, That's akin to the AMC problem we talked about in surviving this pandemic is that if the big guys are having trouble getting their work done, what hope is there for the little guys? If AMC can't survive a pandemic, how are the independent theaters are supposed to make keep their head above water during all this? And, you know, that analogy plays itself out. So a, a lot of questions that can be answered. Do I think this is. Netflix anticipating the Oscars moving, I think the argument can be very easily made, and I think you can persuade someone very easily with that argument. I I have no idea. Your guess is as good as anyone
1: else's. Yeah, the flip side to that argument, though, is that last year Parasite came from Cannes, started at Cannes, and maybe Netflix movies are too... They're they're bigger than Parasite ever was for Neon, and it didn't need the grassroots campaign that went back, Mm -hmm. you you know, almost a a half a year. So you can release Mank to a couple fall film festivals and that's enough and and maybe that you know keeps the anticipation growing and you know and there's the the other side of that i think ann thompson mentioned some things she gave some clues in the article about what the academy is thinking because the Academy is going to meet on June 9th with their board of governors, uh, and they're going to discuss the Oscars date, which currently sits at February 28th. If that moves, moves back, does that lessen the impact that fall film festival circuit would have on the Academy Awards? Of course it does even though it's still important, but it's a different ecosystem. It's a new world we're living in for that, for that set of Oscar campaigns. The other thing she mentioned was that the actors, directors, and producers guilds are also adapting uh, their uh, situations to be ready for an Academy move. There's a quote in there that they would shift their timetable. And uh, and she actually finished the article with one more clue, which I I think it's an obvious (laughs) clue, but it's 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 fascinating where uh, one festival consultant said you don't want an Oscars with an asterisk that that's useless and irrelevant. So, again, because we lost four months on the film year schedule, because we lost the Cannes Film Festival, is this going to force the oscars to move by a couple months to allow for the correction of this usual award season uh, to take place and allow all the movies to finish allow all the film festivals to com- compete in a different way to sundance this year become the super festival like if we have a, Mar- a late march oscars and we got a, a film calendar year that goes through january or through february as, as opposed to last year and we add two months maybe we don't add four months but we add two months does Sundance become the festival where every single Oscar contender is playing? Yeah, and I said this the last time we talked about this, too, and I think
0: the Oscars may want to be careful with moving anything as well because I think there's a huge need for content in the summer, and they could end up being a big hit there. And then does that change Sundance in perpetuity? Is mm-hmm. Sundance now the new go-to forever because the Oscars want to stay in the summer and, and, and blah, blah, blah? Or maybe we're just all overthinking this, and it plays into what Netflix probably also this week because <laughs> Netflix... Uh, they acquired their second major prestige movie theater. They came to a deal on Hollywood's famous Egyptian theater and will keep that in
1: business as they now own it. So, we've always said, we've been saying for years, that Netflix's MO is to promote their streaming service. No matter what they tell you about the theatrical movie going experience, they, they're not in the theatrical movie-going business. They're just not. When they released The Irishman, they released it for a couple weeks. It made $8 million on a 200-something million-dollar budget that probably was was it was $350 million strong when you add all the trimmings, right? Right. So there's no way you can tell me Netflix is in the theatrical movie-going business. They own two prestige theaters right now, the Paris Theater in New York and the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, okay? They, they are not... Looking at using these for any other reason than to what fulfill their minimum requirements. once, once yep. the uh, pandemic is over, but I, maybe to have a prestigious premiere and have premieres for their Netflix films. What I wonder is by skipping all the film festivals, are they feeling their numbers right there? Are they feeling themselves right now? Because their numbers are great. They're probably great across the board. I know they're I'm just, sure. Yeah are they saying, you know, maybe there's maybe our way forward is not to go for a grassroots campaign uh at in the film festival circuit. Maybe our way best way forward that what helps us most is we'll ha- we'll satisfy our minimum requirements with the two theaters that we own, maybe a little more than that, but we'll, we're going to put our movies out on Netflix throughout the calendar year and try to build consensus and uh and try to build a grassroots campaign and buzz for our films that way. Can I pitch a conspiracy theory to you? (laughs) Always. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe
0: Netflix is doing uh, the the greatest trick the devil ever played by making everyone think they're dead. Maybe they want people to think they're not in the theatrical business uh, and they're going to seek their way into buying theaters because nobody has brought up the point that Where's the violation of the antitrust laws where movie studios can't own theaters and theater chains, especially huh.
1: in L.A., in Hollywood? Now I no longer like this. That's opposite <laughs> of what I said. I thought you were going to say what I said to a degree, but no. No, so well, you think Netflix is gearing up to buy a movie theater chain?
0: No, I don't think so. I'm just saying there hasn't been any outrage. I mean, if Universal were to buy studio or theaters, right. there'd be all kinds of articles citing the antitrust violations right now and the implications that go along with that. Not a word has been said about it because Netflix is a streaming service and everyone thinks Netflix wants you to stay in your home. And while I agree with that line of thinking, maybe there is some kind of money-making opportunity where Netflix can buy a couple theaters and they do see that as a new revenue stream and it's all profit for them. And then, you don't really have an antitrust case anymore. You don't really have antitrust uh, statutes that you could abide by because you have one of the biggest studios that so, produces movies, owning the theater chains. They have made a, their own theater chain.
1: This is basically Netflix trying to poke holes in the lit, the the law, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean that's... To make a bigger you know, move down the line. It's maybe also, could be them testing their you know theatrical movie uh, theater running business and and sure. small test cases for that. Even though these are different kind of theaters than your local AMC would be sure. or whatever, but. I guess my last conspiracy theory is that Netflix is punting on the Oscar season, which, which would be a strange point, but Andrew Morgan of the Knobcast has made it to me time and again. And, and Ann Thompson in previous articles has said it on, on Indie there, Michael, the Academy awards this year are going to have a charity raising money raising element to them. And that money raising in, in a, a portion of it's probably going to be going to movie theaters. And this is going to be, an industry-wide sentiment where they're going to be trying to save movie theaters because i think at that point in the calendar no matter when it is you know in february or may or whatever movie theaters are going to be struggling i fast forward and, and we're prophesying now but a lot of these smaller theaters are going to be struggling next may in a major way no matter how you shake this out it might be the major theaters change as well but is is are, is Netflix anticipating an Oscars backlash against them, where basically the Academy is just not going to go for the Netflix movie no matter what they do?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Is, are the, should Netflix play nice just because of future repercussions? The only thing I was thinking of the whole time you were speaking that was, what if the Oscars just turned into one big phoneathon? We have, like, Brad Pitt and Jessica Biel and Jennifer Garner and, and like... Uh, you know, all these people, all these A-list celebrities answering phones and taking donations <laughs> like the NFL did and ESPN did uh, to recover from Hurricane Katrina during one Monday Night Football back
1: in 2005, I remember. They I might mean, have an element of that, even if it's a side broadcast during the Oscars, right. you know, the, the, a Zoom conference call with all the previous Oscar winners or whatever, you know, and a few boards, Board of Governors members on the side. That's what the NFL drafted and it worked. It, it yeah. raised however many millions of dollars. So they're probably going to do something in that regard. And it's some of the proceeds are probably going to go towards movie theaters and helping out their, their industry. And I think, uh, I think if you voted a Netflix movie in that particular year, I will forever think the Academy is crazy, right? (laughs) Or you would forever think the Academy just doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Well, if they, if voting bodies don't,
0: if, if they're going to skip the Oscars, if they don't care about the Oscars this year,
1: does that mean they don't care about them? Period. I wonder Anymore? If, they got to be feeling their numbers right now. But it, it's the, so the big question is Netflix. Are they changing strategies or are they punting on this thing? I think that's where we would landed. Right. Are they punting on award season by not premiering at any of the film festivals or, the, or do they have a different strategy? I don't but know. wouldn't
0: the Academy? I agree with you. But wouldn't the Academy take offense to them punting during the year of need when they need them most to show up to these film festivals and maybe get a grassroots campaign going? Is that something the Academy would hold against Netflix forever? And Netflix wouldn't be blind to that. They would know that if they're making enemies in the Academy.
1: Right. I mean, that's that's why we're positing all these theories out. Yeah, there. interesting. I, I don't get what they're doing.
0: Gonna be remains to be seen, that is for sure. Following up on some other big blockbuster news, we have an official release date for
1: Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho that's going to be coming out in April of 2021 a.k.a. the new December of next year when the Oscars are in May, right? They get moved. No, I mean, I think this is a more of a content maneuver and a logistics maneuver because we've heard that The Last Night in Soho was not edited by Edgar Wright, yeah. could not be finished in time for their their late September release previously. So this had to be moved. Will they be fortunate if the Oscars got moved to May and the film calendar year got pushed to the end of April? All right, yeah, maybe they're fortunate. Maybe they get a sound editing nomination or or something better, if the, the film is still diluted at that point, but I, unlikely. And there's
0: a lot of money to be made in April. The and Marvel and the Avengers have taught us that. Right. I mean, four of the top twenty highest domestic grossing films of all time have been April releases, and sure, they've all been Avenger movies. But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, it would be interesting to see if the Oscars do move or move permanently, or even for a year or whatever. What does happen to the April box office? As you have oscar films competing against other blockbusters that get released in that time period anyway usually uh that's going to be something to keep an eye on i mean this is a whole new landscape we could be entering right now and it's just going to be fascinating we may have to relearn everything we thought we knew about this industry
1: definitely definitely it's gonna and it's going to change like the typical crap months of uh january and february yep. probably no matter what right now because december is going to get more even more crowded as things hopefully get back to normal but yeah january and february it's going to be different this year than last year anyway the Telluride Film Festival is still a go. They came out and, uh, and and announced that they're they're gonna you know all systems go on the Telluride Film Festival. This particular film festival is just one weekend long. Last year we interviewed Matt Negley of Next Best Picture. He told us all about it, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like maybe this is more feasible, at least logistically in terms of preparation, for them to keep this on and not have to worry about moving it quite yet. Or maybe that fans don't see this as risky. That's just me speculating. What do you? Where do you land on Telluride?
0: I I don't land anywhere good and anywhere there's mass amounts of people gathering during the time of COVID. I, yeah. I just I wonder how they're going to abide by social distancing guidelines by having people at all these screenings. Uh, it's a small town, from what Matt told us, and there's all people are compact as it is. So uh, I, obviously, it's nothing they haven't thought of. The administrators there haven't thought of, and I'm sure they put the proper safeguards in place. But I just. My hope for all of these things is that they go on and everyone just gets out healthy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Uh, Next story, I need to lean on you, though, because Mm. I don't get it at all. Brett Ratner is a candidate for the Academy's Board of Governors. Brett Ratner, accused of sexual misconduct. Brett Ratner of Rush Hour. Brett Ratner uh, of the Me Too movement in a negative way. Why in the hell is his name out there in terms of a leadership position for our Academy?
0: uh hopefully it's a formality uh and hopefully it's it's nothing more than that but this it comes as a result of a story we we're going to report on during a recent oscar race checkpoint that we ended up punting for time's sake but okay so the board of governor seats on the academy were up for re-election about a third of them more and there's four seats that need to be filled in with new membership because of eligibility requirements and people prolonging their stay and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, We were a little late to the voting to get to nominees, but it doesn't really matter at this point anyway, because the Academy seems to be acting in concert towards common goals with regards to fundraising and the like, and they want to save the entire industry. So it doesn't really matter what stances politically any of the nominees were taking, but we're at the nomination stage. And basically from my understanding of it is because of COVID and because of the coronavirus, the Academy voting process, which normally was a field of potential nominees that got voted down to four nominees. They skipped that step this year. And my understanding of it is while there is a director seat that is up for uh, re-election and up to have somebody filled, and that's what Ratner's voting for, or, or at least running for, I should say, mm-hmm. because the Academy skipped their nominating process due to COVID because they don't meet as much or whatever the reason it being anyone that wants to say they're a nominee could have could be a nominee, and oh. the members are just going to vote from that list. So what I hope happened, I haven't read this confirmed anywhere, but this is my understanding putting pieces together. Yeah. What I hope happened is Ratner just put his name on some list and that said, yes, sense. I'd like to be considered. And because everybody that said, yes, I'd like to be considered is considered a nominee because of the changes just this year due to COVID, yes, Brett Ratner is a nominee. I cannot imagine... The Academy is comfortable with Brett Ratner being one of their representative and one of their board of governor members. And I cannot imagine he gets voted in because of the allegations against him, like you cited.
1: Okay, so that makes some sense. So this is not uh, a problem in leadership that they overlooked the fact that he could, you know, basically nominate himself here. And basically we, that's right. how i read it yeah all right thank you
0: so hopefully it's a lot less volatile story and again it's going to be up to the voting members to actually vote him in and if he gets voted in then yes we have a yeah big issue then we to talk rage
1: about. all right uh palm springs michael the film with uh andy sandberg that uh premiered at sundance uh and it was a huge hit that was bought by neon that is coming to hulu in july we have learned yeah, Hulu and the drive-ins.
0: This was actually posted to the Lonely Islands Instagram page. Mm. Uh, we've reported about Palm Springs a bunch of times because it actually set the record for highest highest purchase price of any film at the Sundance film market at 17 and a half million dollars. It beat the previous record. I think I said I saw about like 69 cents or something like that. <laughs> uh, but this is an Andy Samberg, a Lonely Island movie, Kristen Milioti, who is the, the girl, the mother from how I met your mother. That's what she's probably best known for. And JK Simmons. Those are the three names at the top of the poster. The names attached to this aren't ones I'm familiar with. Max Barbacau He directs, and Andy Sierra, who was on the writing team for Lodge 49, is the writer. But, thus far, there's 10 Metacritic reviews. They have a combined 83 average, and the lowest of those 10 is a 70. So, yes, it's extremely early, but the early reviews seem to be at least saying this
1: is going to be a critically acclaimed movie. Film Festival favorite. Uh, bought for a huge price tag, which could go in any direction, because we saw Amazon sure. Studios spend big money last year on a bunch of films that did not pay off for them critically, uh, with with audiences or at the box office. You know, I don't have to go back and list those movies off right now. This film coming to Hulu in July is another example of we're getting another possibly good movie in July, another good movie during the quarantine. I'm grateful for it. I'm not expecting Oscars is where I want to go with that, though. I'm not expecting this movie to have, uh, you know, an eventual award season to it. But I'm happy to get another good movie.
0: It's Neon, too. I mean, Neon and Hulu partnered up in this purchase price. So, you know, Neon's got that parasite money to burn. So they might as well spend it on the Lonely Island, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, in terms of awards talk, I'll I'll be pleasantly surprised if it's an awards picture. But uh, my guess is that it's, you know, a crowd pleaser and we need more crowd pleasers right now. And yet... If it had a name like Spike Lee attached, I would be thinking of all the you know other theories where all right, Netflix is probably angling, Hulu's probably angling it for an Oscar. <laughs> it's just just wild eyes are on it now, Anyway, Mike, some good news sells out to CBS. Do you feel betrayed here? Yes, as cynicism win. I hate the world.
0: Yes. I and mean, we can't have nice things. We can't have anything good and pure. Like, of course you would sell this out if you made it from nothing. That's the dream of everybody that starts a YouTube channel, right? Yeah. To sell it out to some giant conglomerate. I just, I just hate that this is the way the world works. That was so but- nice and good and decent. And now he's selling it and he's not even going to be doing it anymore. And,
1: Aren't we a little mad at John Krasinski, though? Aren't we a little mad at him? Because this was supposed to be something he's doing during quarantine to to be a good thing and help people. And then he sells it for buku bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm furious at him. But
0: if I was him, I would have sold it, too. So (laughs) can't be a hypocrite. We just can't have nice things.
1: Nothing in this world is pure. Nothing is decent. God isn't real. Mike, it's what we're watching. <laughs> it's hard to sing in this particular episode, but we do have some fun things that we watched. Uh, I chipped away at a bunch of other series, and I finally finished a bunch of series, so I got a lot to report. But we both binged Space Force on Netflix. I hated episode one. <laughs> yeah. I well, it hated it. it didn't start it. good.
0: I didn't think it was funny at all, but episode two was funnier. In episode three, I was laughing my ass off. So I, I, if you can last, if you can make it that far, I think it is worthwhile. It is Greg Daniels. It is Steve Carell. Those are the two that teamed up to produce The Office as well. I think you get peak Ben Schwartz in yes, this. If you're funny. a Ben Schwartz guy, which both of us are, uh, It's it's pretty much everything you could expect and want from him. And John Malkovich is fantastic as
1: the straight man he's much funnier than i remember him being and he's been funny at times let's let's be honest but he is he is uh he's crushing it in this one steve carell i think is finding the type of character he wants to be i remember early amy poehler on parks and rec was kind of struggling with that and i feel like you know steve carell doing the brad pitt impersonation from that terrible netflix movie or is he trying to be more of the earnest guy who's just like in over his head and you get comedy from there and i think he landed on the ladder which i was happy to 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 see he's much more likable in, in that regard and i think you need a likable care character at the center of a, of a show like this that's ultimately a satire so the eventually it found its footing i wonder if it was too late for some folks especially all the negative reviews that came out but this show had its moments and it did have a lot of laughs
0: yeah i, I don't know how far did you get in it
1: oh i finished it Oh, you finished watched it all day. on saturday i finished it all one day how many, many episodes was, is it it's ten episodes, I believe, but it was—I mean, I was working on shit. I mean, it's been the case of my whole quarantine. I'm—I got the laptop open and I got the TV on, probably for too much of the time. When I when we don't have to be on the phone or whatever, the laptop's open, the TV's on, and shows are getting watched.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, I—I I, I recommend Space Force. If you can get through the first episode, uh, I liked it. As far as I the other things I watched, I'll be quick in my what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did watch the first 3 or 4 or i don't even know how many episodes of the jeffrey epstein miniseries that netflix put out is it good is it worth is it worth suffering through is the que- is my question so it's just yeah, I mean it's it's good to hear these stories and they do it is first hand accounts from the victims okay. of this terrible human being and there's a couple times in this they talk about him having basically a ponzi scheme of underage girls and that's exactly what it is. Ugh. I mean he not only was recruiting underage girls but he was recruiting underage girls to recruit underage girls for him. This guy was a predator of the highest order, just the grossest, most disgusting human being. It's a very slanted—it does not try to be well-rounded because I don't know if you can be well-rounded about this type of person, no. but it's it's talking from the victims' mouths and their first hand accounts and their allegations as to what happened to them. And for anyone that ever talks about victims like this and says, why don't they speak up sooner or why don't these stories come out earlier? Yeah. I mean, this is— case A, B, C, and D as to why, because a lot of these victims claim they did go to the police as soon as it happened. And because Jeffrey Epstein was Jeffrey Epstein and had connections to the people he had connections to, he was able to make them go away. All the complaints and allegations go away throughout his life for decades. And it is just harrowing. And, And I think these people are incredibly brave and incredibly strong for telling their stories, but
1: it's a heavy watch, no doubt so in that vein i watched unbelievable and this was my mm-hmm. other binge this last week uh scott feinberg had it as his number one in the limited series section of his feinberg forecast so i'm like all right this is good this has caitlin dever of book smart this has tony collette of hereditary this has Merritt weaver of michael clayton this has so many people that I, I really respect in terms of their acting prowess and it's supposed to win all the emmys and win the golden globe so I I was quick to click on it, and I regretted it immediately because I didn't know what it was about. It's basically the plot of The Accused. You have a rape early on, and you're dealing with that just soul-crushing sadness. Now, this show becomes perhaps the best police procedural, detective police procedural, that I've seen since True Detective Season 1 without any of the sensational uh, elements. So don't get me wrong. You're not getting... You know what you got in True Detective Season 1, which is more of like a fairy tale. It's more of a fantasy in how they dealt with that that killer. This is Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver doing some of their best work. This is Caitlin Dever. Literally, she's going to win a ton of Emmys for this. Good. It, it is as frustrating a, a portrait of police work misapplied and leaving things open to just horrible blunders that ruin lives. <sighs> At the same time, you get the other side of the coin and you're shown police work done right, and you're shown when the system works and how it works, and I just, I give this show so much, so much credit. You have Marie Adler's true story being told here. You have the filmmakers being very respectful of that true story, and you, and you, and you have a lot of the good intentions brought to life on film. It's perhaps the most satisfying watch I've had in a while. It's, uh, I think it's eight episodes of a miniseries, eight one-hour episodes. I just, I tip my hat. It's the best thing I watched this week. It's one of the best things I watched all year. Good,
0: wow, glad to hear that. Uh, I wanted to get on my horse and watch. I, I do want to watch that. There's a ton of miniseries. Uh, since we're kind of going slow with the movie watching right now that I have wanted to sink my teeth into.
1: I'd be fascinated to hear your take on Unbelievable. Fascinated. Because it's, it's got to be, you know, what, what's BS, what's real? I mean, you've been in the thick of it as a lawyer working for the government. I mean, you got to know the, the right and wrong of this, I would think, more than I would. But it, to me, it struck me as something that was insightful from start to finish.
0: Go, I, I do want to check it out, like I said. I mean, you're doing a hell of a sales job on it. And I, I am convinced Caitlin Dever is another one of those young Hollywood starlets that she, it's just a matter of time before she has a mantle full of whatever kind of awards she wants to go after. I think she's a true, incredible talent. So She
1: she gave such an awesome interview on Awards Chatter. Again, yeah. mentioning Mr. Scotty F. there uh, doing a great <laughs> job across the board. But, uh, yeah, did, did you watch anything else? I got a couple more I want to rip off. I mean, my, my weekend was chock full of
0: watching just the, the stuff in the news, man. So I dra- yeah. I needed a distraction, like I said. So when I need a distraction desperately, my go-tos are the usual that I've talked about a billion times over on here. So I have nothing other than if you want to hear my thoughts on community, and those are that uh, <laughs> Advanced Dungeons & Dragons is one of the best sitcom episodes ever made. It's a really? season two episode. It is so good and so just all encompassing about everything you need to know about all those characters and it makes you feel good
1: at the end of it too so it's something desperately needed in this time it's my perception of community up till now has been all right it's it's a show for you you kind of like it it's kind of in your wheelhouse but I'm worried that the uh, references are t- gonna go over my head because I'm just I'm, I, I have tunnel vision in terms of movie watching and I'm not paying attention to every little thing out there in pop culture like you do more than I so I was worried about it so I've kind of been hesitant to start it. Plus I get overwhelmed by like six or seven season art. But, and then finally the, the, the third strike on you has been, you said it gets bad later. So like, why am I going to, you know? Well, the first, the first
0: like two or three seasons are gold,
1: right? Well, you you just, mentioning that superlative though is starting yeah. to sell me on like all right maybe i gotta watch the first couple seasons of this and just program that into my life
0: yeah the genius of it is pretty self-contained i don't think it goes off into like too many referential areas with pop culture and stuff so i think it'll be all right jane Harmon is a very smart comedy writer and he's like a
1: uh hmm. a, a a self-defeatist so, we see some of ourselves in him, I think. Well, is it a <laughs> like, good show? Is it a good show to watch with the laptop open, having to do shit, and then having it on the TV? Is it one of those sh- perfect shows for that situation, or do you have to be paying it's a attention?
0: Little, it's, a, it's like the next step up from that, I would say. You got to okay. give it
1: some attention. Because defending Jacob is easy to, to half pay attention to, let's oh, just good. say. That's on Apple TV. I finished the last episode. You know, I've been mentioned in my watching of the series. I hated like the first four episodes. Yes. The last four did get good. You have Chris Evans, Michelle Dockery, Jaden Martell doing a nice job. It's very heavy-handed, but it was unpredictable for a couple of the last episodes and how it unfolded. Does it all work? Is it all real? I would doubt it. But you have smart, capable filmmakers there, Mike. And it did have a big finish. So so let's,
0: let's handle these, but how you're reviewing all these miniseries as you go down the list. Watch or not?
1: Like, it's a watch during a quarantine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, that's fair. I would say, like, if you're prioritizing watches, like, watch Unbelievable. I mean, it's an addictive show. It's also mm-hmm. an important show. Like, this is, you know, that kid's probably an asshole anyway, even if he's not guilty. <laughs> Okay, good. And I, you're truly guessing if he's guilty or not, the whole show. I mean, that's the whole point. All right. Mike, I finished Fossey verdon and for, you know, entertainment lovers, for movie lovers, I mean, for just lovers of great acting, Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams playing Bob Fossey and Gwen Verdon, Broadway stars, Hollywood stars throughout the, uh, the 70s and early 80s, throughout the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. This is chock full of New York entertainment industry goods, that, historical goods that are just—it's it's awesome to see. And then it's another story with a lot of authenticity to it because the daughter of Bob and Gwen, Nicole Fossey, she's heavily involved in the writing process, and she's telling her story. And there's, it's a cautionary tale about drug abuse. It's a cautionary tale about the uh, the medical industry and how they dealt with mental illness and how they dealt with drug problems so so wrongly over over so many decades. Never mind so many years. So this story is packed full of so many good, you know, worthwhile things in it so it sounds like it's the best version of judy it is a better version than judy no question about it but so is all that jazz i mean i would prefer all that jazz over judy any day so watch or don't watch oh you should watch this one i i I regret that i didn't watch it last season you know when it was up for all the awards so watch this fossey verdon mike finally i i don't recommend people watch Agatha Christie's Ordeal by Innocence. This is Bill Nye. This is a 3 episode thing on Amazon Prime. I don't know. It's it's these is shows are like, wearing
0: is somebody wearing a big gown and a three-piece
1: suit in this? Yeah, these are the yeah, Agatha you Christie You can't resist. The Agatha Christie novels brought to life. They're whodunits. They're kind of a disc, addictive. They have great Cast like Matthew Good's in this. I mean, so many, you know, of the, the the actors from Belgravia and Downton Abbey and Game of Thrones and all the Anglophile stuff, they suck me in. And then this is not well made at all. I mean, it's editing is jagged and awkward. And, and then the story is just blunt and in your face. And I really disliked it.
0: So, for the most part of the series you did list off, I mean, you have, I'm guessing, Unbelievable is number one, Fossey Verdon is two. And then you're, I guess, putting Defending Jacob over, uh, Agatha Christie
1: yeah defending Jacob is there's a chasm between those top two and defending Jacob like D- defending Jacob is like trash TV done worse than the morning show right the morning show was trash t- you know tr- uh, train wreck TV done really well Gotcha. defending Jacob doesn't quite get there but yeah I mean Fossey Verdon I'm Emmy level uh you have unbelievable Emmy level those are those are wonderfully done and then you have uh these other shows that I'm just kind of, I want to watch because they're whodunits and crime TV. I think you got me down this road again somehow by saying you were watching all the negative TV for a while. (laughs) That's all I watch. Anyway, finally I watched part two of Lance. Uh, Which was fine. I mean, I I don't think it lives up to it it doesn't live up to the last dance and how great that was. I mean, there's stuff I learned about Floyd Landis. There's stuff I learned about Lance Armstrong. It's kind of ambiguous at the end, though, and that's a, a bit infuriating about this guy and it's not dropping truth bombs left and right so it's worth watching especially if you didn't watch the armstrong lie that documentary it's it's worth watching if you haven't seen the ben foster movie but lance is just not on the same level at all as the last dance ambiguous in what way what's ambiguous about him it's like how he really sees himself like am- the ambiguity comes with is this a broken man or is this not a broken man to me? Like, because you see like cracks in the veneer and how he's handling the situation. You see him cutting himself when he's trying to help his wife with dinner like he never has helped him her out before. Right. <laughs> see, like I'm reading between the lines and I'm I'm thinking this guy's broken and he's smothering all this, these issues. and And, and then he's saying a lot of the right things, but I'm calling bullshit on it. So who is he? Like I still don't know who this guy is, and and that should be what this is all about. Maybe it needed to be made another ten years from now when he's actually, you know, uh, being able to process this for longer. Like it, like to me, the Armstrong lie that was made right after he he was fresh to uh, admit his his wrongdoing, Mm -hmm. and it was just he was just basically self-flagellation that whole end of that episode here it's like he's he still hates floyd landis and he's still showing his teeth at times and it's again it's just probably not long enough it probably he probably needs another 10 years to really you know show his true colors after all this
0: Bleacher report i think it was did a great uh kind of expose into the beef between floyd landis and lance armstrong and really investigating uh everything that went down between the two of them so that's a good like 17 minute video on youtube if people are looking for an explanation on that rivalry
1: I, uh, I'm curious now because that was not a part of the story I knew very well and why they would both hate each other for doing the same things wrong. Like, how can you admit to being so wrong? And yet this other guy outed you. Right. And you hate him. Right. You don't hate anybody else. Like, what? What? It makes no sense. It makes well, no Floyd sense. Landis, like, made
0: it his life's goal after he was done active cycling, once he realized that Lance was cheating, to out him. And I, I, I guess that bitterness never subsided. Yeah, but if
1: you're truly asking I hear I the hear world ya. for forgiveness, why are, yep. why are I'm you, with you angry with the person who called you out for it? I don't if get If you're it. truly sorry.
0: Maybe he's got one of those sociopathic mindsets.
1: I don't know. Anyway, to cleanse myself of all the serious movie watch, uh, TV watching, Mike, I watched the wrong Missy. Which you I liked. laughed. I laughed like a hundred times. I'm not <laughs> proud of it, but it's hilarious. And Lauren Lapkus is a fountain of comedic wisdom. She's yes. A rising star, and I, I'm so glad to see like David Spade be like the assist man again. Like he right. used to do with Chris Farley, his whole career. But he's this, the quote unquote straight man in this comedy duo. She is outlandish and hilarious, and he is waiting. He's waiting to pounce and be funny. And <laughs> I, I'm really happy because he made me laugh, and she killed me. She killed me the whole movie. She was she was just crushing it. Oh, good. I mean, that's a surprise too, because that one did not look great. <laughs> so well, I'm the worst. Here. Yeah, the worst thing about this movie is like the end of the story, like them put wrapping it all up and they give you the, the typical rom com ending and it would just piss me off.
0: Oh yeah. Well If If it gave you laughs along the way, I guess that makes up for it.
1: But like the first hour and 20 minutes, you
0: have laughs. Yeah. Well, can't ask for more than that. Uh, We can transition now going on (laughs) and starting to wrap up. No, I I think you had a lot of good stuff in there, sincerely. I do really want to watch Unbelievable. I have to get to that. Uh, I've meant to for a while. But uh, we'll talk about a box office update. We wanted to include this before we uh, wrap up here because there is some important information that may allude to some future happenings that we've been reporting on for a while.
1: Yeah, San Francisco won't reopen movie theaters until mid-August. There's a great IndieWire article written about how this may or may not doom the release of Tenet by Tom Bruggeman, Mike. Okay, San Francisco is not a cinematic hub. But right? it's, it's one of those top three markets right. in, in the country that accounts for like 30% of business. or It's some huge figure like that.
0: Right. So they I mean, they do have an impact. They're not going to be like dictating the taste, but they certainly they could be a forerunner or precursor of things to come. I cannot in my simple pea headed non-scientific brain for the life of me understand Mm. how if San Francisco thinks it's not time to open up movie theaters, how a more heavily. Densely populated area with far more people and right. far more theaters is going to go forward opening in time for tenant like LA is just assumed and presumed to do. If San Francisco thinks it's not time yet, how in the world is LA going to jump the gun and open in York. time for tenant? Yeah. Or, I mean, never. that's not to mention New York. I said L.A. because they're in the same state. But, yeah, the,
1: the same goes for New York, which is even more densely
0: populated than L.A.
1: is. It's strange because we've heard reports saying that if L.A., San Francisco, and New York aren't open, the tenant can't play. It can't play and it can't be profitable, at least in its domestic earnings. Now, I posit, again, another theory that perhaps the rest of the movie-going audience and throughout the rest of the of the movie going country maybe they're so eager to see films that they'll flood you know the uh, the box office of every other movie theater in every other town and city where where maybe they don't go to as many movies as as they as you would think do you think that would i mean i can't imagine that suffice that satisfies warner brothers the, but that's a total theory that's
0: yeah, I mean, tenant is basically Even banking if you on no, every every movie theater from Chicago down to Oklahoma City is going to be packed. If you don't
1: have New York and LA, you can't release a movie. It, it's are they just jumping on a grenade here or are they somehow calculating through surveys through whatever that the rest of the box office is going to be higher because we've all been quarantining for 3 months for almost 4 months now. Is that a reasonable supposition to make about the rest of the world, where you wouldn't need the big markets that usually, you know, compromise thirty percent of your total domestic gross? That's my question.
0: Well, here's where, where I land on this, and and I tweeted this out uh, discussing whether or not tenant's going to move because we're getting near make or break time for tenant, like we said we were last week, uh, and the call's got to be made within the next couple of days here. But
1: well, I, I also had another theory about that though. I don't know. If I, bottom line, I think if tenant is just moving to August, then the tenant marketing doesn't necessarily get wasted I to agree. go from August, you know, July 17th to August 14th. That's just but, something that dawned on me. Like They're just starting their campaign now at the end of May, right? Right. With the second trailer no, I agree with and the start oh, of the TV spots. That doesn't waste uh, an August opening for them. The question I have is they're going to have to do the same ramp up month and a half ahead, two months ahead for Wonder Woman 1984. So they can potentially, if they wait too long on that, they could waste the marketing for Wonder Woman 1984.
0: On a macro level, just with WB, and never mind the machinations and the logistics of how they'd have to move their entire schedule, I can't envision that Warner Brothers is putting this movie out and just saying we're happy with whatever we get. Not after all the losses every major studio has, has to have been suffering for the first half of 2020. I mean, they kind of desperately, for a movie that was supposed to be one of their big blockbuster, one of their big money makers of 2020, they kind of desperately need this to at least come close to breaking even, don't they?
1: I think all movie theaters need hits this year, and every movie studio need, needs hits this year. I mean, they have to. It's just it's an unprecedented situation where we're looking at an economic depression, never mind recession for everybody. And everybody's over. Everybody's over leveraged. Nobody probably planned well enough for this. I mean, if it's hurting Disney and Disney's laying off a bajillion people, then it's gotta be hurting Warner Brothers. Yeah. To where Warner Brothers needs a hit, to where AMC so, needs a hit. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah. So my point kind of is like I can't imagine Warner's saying, like, look, we're gonna swallow a loss on this one, but it's the right thing to do. We have to get people back into the- like they're not gonna do this for right. American pride. It's they about need to do the this money for their bottom they, dollar,
1: right. They have to be able to at least make some money on it and my question is that's why i changed the argument before that i've never made before, uh, that i've never made on the show mike because they got to be anticipating some other kind of box office boon and if uh, the big markets aren't open maybe the small markets make up for it can they be anticipating that i don't know
0: yeah, and what's even for a movie like Tenet, well we've heard they've already spent close to 350 million on it. So how much of that is budget, how much of that they is marketing included and other costs, we don't know. Uh we know there is a push by Regal and Cineworld, the the Cineworld which is like the third biggest distributor of theaters or can the base company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do plan on opening in time for both Tenet and Mulan in July. <sighs> We're getting near the end game here. I don't know how <sighs> If you don't have New York, you don't have San Francisco, you don't have L.A., you're not opening. I don't don't see that as a viable way forward, but it's going to have to happen in the next few days here.
1: My last point is that I wonder if they think the theatrical money-making window is wider for this launch, for this quote-unquote launch of July 17th. Does Warner Brothers think that people will eventually go in early August – in these major markets, the same they were they would go on opening weekend mm. you know they think they'll just go but they just won't go opening weekend they'll go two weeks later and they're okay with that. they think tenant will have legs.
0: Oh, a lot to be seen and a lot to think about, certainly, from this episode. We could wrap up here talking about our audience interaction segment. We had a couple Twitter questions out to you guys this week. You answered in kind. We're going to read off some responses here. And the first question was, what do you consider must-watch TV for movie lovers?
1: Yeah, Kevin Jacobson, at Kevin underscore Jacobson with an E-N there of the uh, Oscar runner-up pod. He said limited series are the closest to providing that experience, in my opinion. I agree with you, Kevin. I watched a million limited series the last few weekends. Yeah, it goes right in line with what you are reviewing here. He recommends Watchmen, Mrs. America, When They See Us, Chernobyl, Sharp Objects, Fossey Verdon, Fargo, American Crime Story, Olive Kitteridge, Big Little Lives, and his ultimate favorite from way back, Angels in America.
0: I don't think I ever watched Angels in America, but I remember there was like a huge thing amongst my
1: friends. Mm -hmm. I watched it with my grandma. I watched it with my grandma all the way back. My nana
0: uh kaz at she spoiled it i'm on mr robot right now they play a lot with angles color framing just had an episode without dialogue and one was a single take loads to unpack for film lovers i know we're suckers for the tracking shot
1: yeah and i gotta get back to mr robot i love sam Esmail's show there i just whatever i mean too many movies to watch gotta get back to it i'm two seasons in i don't even know where it is it's probably everywhere though so Anyway, Mike, the Never Gets Old podcast at Never Gets Old Pod. They say Stargate SG-1. Every episode is like a movie. Did you ever watch Stargate?
0: No, but I did watch Twin Peaks, and that's what Malin 181 suggests as well. And I, I think that's very cinematic.
1: So the mo- the Twin Peaks movie was better than the Stargate movie. That's probably why I'm, I'm agreeing with the, the Twin Peaks suggestion. So you did watch Stargate? I watched the Stargate movie. i never seen the show. Never oh, one okay. episode of the show. So I'm trying the, to get where at.
0: does starship troopers come into play?
1: Totally different thing. We better move on. Very good. Anyway, one of those guys are going to be mad at us. (laughs) Forensic True Crime, S-E-E-K, at the end of Foren. Uh, They say The Sopranos is the one television show that was a masterpiece from the first minute to the last. All other shows have lost their grip towards their final seasons. No other show has been able to reach the same psychological, philosophical depth as that one. Uh,
0: I would shout out The Shield is up in there uh, with uh, as far as being solid from minute one till the end there. But yeah, The Sopranos, uh, obviously we uh, love it. And if I don't get my hair cut soon, it's going to start looking like Pauly Walnuts's.
1: You just said The Shield is on the same tier as The Sopranos. I think The Shield is one of the best shows ever made. It's on literally the same level of quality as *The Sopranos*. Look, I'm I, asking because I've watched the first couple ep- uh, first couple seasons of *The Shield*. I didn't keep up with it. Same deal with *Mr. Robot*. My it's a me problem. I'm shocked to hear somebody say that.
0: I think *The Shield* is one of the top five TV shows ever. I think *Breaking Bad* is number one. Hmm. I think *The Sopranos* is in there. I think *The Wire* is in there, and I think
1: *The Shield* is in there. Are you mad at *The Sopranos* ending? you have a grudge? Oh, at the time, yeah. But, I I mean, reflecting on it, I think it's genius. Because I think think it has to be Mount Rushmore of shows as well. I'm just surprised at The Shield. I've never heard The Shield mentioned, but we're not TV critics. Yeah. That's why let's move on to a movie question here, Mike. (laughs) What films have you been shocked to love? We did a Top fives episode on it, and Ryan L. Terry starts us off here.
0: Yeah, at RL Terry, one, our buddy here in no particular order, five films that surprised me by how much I fell in love with them for the very first time, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, Fried Green Tomatoes, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and
1: Beaches, there's a list for you. So Tucker and Dale vs. Evil and Romy and Michelle, the two and movies, I can totally co-sign. I've never seen, I've shamefully never seen the other three, so uh, gotta get on that.
0: If I had a dollar for every list where Tucker and Dale vs. Evil was listed
1: alongside Beaches... I would have $1. (laughs) That's true. That's a strange list, but a cool list. Mike Nolan Roberts at Nolan Roberts 17. He says The Accountant. He was shocked to love The Accountant. Ben Affleck's performance was great. He liked. Uh, Eighth grade, we agree. Fantasy Island. I've never heard anybody say Fantasy Island, but he says it's amazingly bad. So that's interesting. Yeah, that that trailer looked like it
0: would be amazingly bad
1: okay Black Klansman we agree there Uh, but then again why was he shocked to love it because Spike Lee but uh, (laughs) oh he he learned to like Spike Lee after that movie there Mm -hmm. it is and then the Lego movie because he thought it was going to be a total product placement film but it was a big surprise for him (laughs) Awesome, he's not the
0: first person I've heard say that they were shocked to love the accountant, by the way, which I've never seen. So,
1: uh, I, 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 I'm with Nolan on eighth grade Black Klansman. I'm curious about Fantasy Island. I'm actually with him on the Lego movie, but I wasn't shocked to love it. I, I think I love the song too much going in mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, not a fan I'm, not, of the with, I'm not with him on the accountant, unfortunately. <laughs> right. We got to make
0: Nick at Nick Cindy T, uh, Crazy Stupid Love, not sure why, but I love that movie. And Dirty D, which is a great handle, at
1: <laughs> AKGRL33, recently they asked, she says, A Hidden Life. So I haven't rewatched Crazy Stupid Love in forever, but I remember loving, like, the first hour and then, like, hating the last half hour somehow. Like, I loved I loved the Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling stuff, and then I hated the eight-year-old kid telling me what love is. I wish
0: Ryan Gosling playing the Wolfman, as he just was signed on to do, was that character <laughs> in Crazy Stupid Love.
1: Sure. <laughs> a hidden life, though I haven't seen it yet. I got to get on that. Well, like, all you got
0: to do is survive those first two hours, Mike, and that last one.
1: Apparently, yeah, that's another one. Apparently, the last hour was great, but it, the cinematography's got to be good, right? Oh my God! Anyway, <laughs> we got to get on that. Wojciech Weischer, sure. he had a top seven list. He said, "Beast." With Jesse Buckley, I agree there. The Edge of Seventeen from 2016 as a coming-of-age movie was pretty awesome. He agrees with you, Mike. Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. Hell yes. Uh, he, Spring Breakers as his number four, which which is interesting because he wasn't a Harmony Kareem fan before. Like, nobody should have been, I think, <laughs> after Kids and Gummo. Uh, Go on Gummo. YouTube and look up the David Letterman Harmony Korean feud. It's astounding. I don't blame him for that. Like Harmony Kareem made some fucked up movies. But God, yeah, Spring Breakers is one hell of a thing. Suspiria from 2018, shocked to love that one. And uh, I would agree. Now, his number two mic is The Social Network, which I don't get because I don't know how that one surprised him. Yeah,
0: it seems like he was confused by the concept of a Facebook movie. I guess I can understand that.
1: And then he said La La Land at number one. I've never been a fan of musicals, however, because everyone went crazy about this production. Uh, and and then he loves Emma Stone. He decided to watch the movie, and it captivated him with freshness, energy, and spoke directly to his inner dreamer and romantic. Overrated. All right. Well, that's a <laughs> damn allergy has been sneaking up on me there. Yeah. Uh, I I'm wondering if you hold a grudge against Wojcik for saying your favorite movie ever surprised him that it was good. Ah. Uh, that you I... take him out, take it out on uh, La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you hate La La Land? We gotta get to the bottom of this. I don't you hate really it. Hate I, just, La La Land? I don't no, I don't hate it at all. I just think it was
0: not Look, look, of Damien Chazelle's movies, I agree one of them should have gotten a billion nominations and awards. Mm-hmm. That's where I stand on La La Land. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I uh... If La La Land came out in 2018, I would have La La Land my number one over First Man. Oh, that's my honest opinion.
0: I'll say this. We need a La La Land right now. We need something that everyone can feel good about and like get behind and and be happy about. But maybe we'll get one of those once this year gets going underway in terms of movie going, whatever that may be. But guys, uh, we want to hear from you. Obviously, as always, your comments, questions, concerns about anything we talked about in this episode, uh, all of this episode as well as anything else we do here in the MMO Mm -hmm. Empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at mm and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you happen to be quarantining with us or just listening to us as a distraction, we cannot thank you enough. If you would please leave us a five-star review, that would go a long way for us if you did that on Apple Podcasts or their app. Michael, what are some words of wisdom and what is coming next?
1: Well, I'll take what's coming next first. The uh, Cannes Film Festival selections come out Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time, I believe. I believe France is four hours ahead of us. So we're hoping for those. We're hoping to do an episode recording it later, uh, commenting on those selections. And we're going to do a top five on best U.S. films set in France. And it is a shockingly robust list. I figured the war movies were going to be on there. I figured Les Miserables, a couple of those. There's so many more movies that were Hollywood films made in France. So that'll be our top five list for this week. Then we have uh, Shirley. We have Shirley, and we're going to do an OSP that comes to Hulu at the end of the week, starring Elizabeth Moss. The Five Bloods is next week. The King of Staten Island we'll get to a little bit later the week after. So we got new movies the next three weeks, which makes me excited. Now, in terms of the words of wisdom, I'm going to outsource them today to our former first lady, Michelle Obama. I just finished reading her uh, memoir, Becoming, Uh, the documentary that we reviewed had the same name. And uh, I just think this is a direct quote, simple quote, but it's just, uh, it just really helped me. And uh, I think it's the way to go out. Here we go. Don't be afraid. Be focused. Be determined. Be hopeful. Be empowered. And that says it all. That says it
0: all. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies and hopefully share some laughs and some thoughts with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Be better. We'll see you all really soon.
1: See you.